Happy Monday, everybody, and welcome back to the Couchside Judges. I'm Scott Fontana. You can follow me on Twitter at Scott underscore Fontana. I'm Dan Urban. Follow me at the Dan Urban. You can follow the podcast at Couchside Judges, and you can subscribe wherever you listen. And if you like the show, give us that five-star review. Apple, wherever you can. And we talk about MMA judging on this show, so you should learn the criteria. You can read it at abcboxing.com. So, Dan, this being a post, well, not really pay-per-view, but post-numbered event in the UFC calendar, couple title fights, big show, big event, we like to get guests on the show. So before we even go into the events of UFC 267, the judging, all that other stuff, let's introduce our guest for today's show. It is none other than Nick Baldwin from The Score. Nick, welcome on to the Couchside Judges. Thanks so much for having me, guys. I appreciate it. I'm excited to to be here and talk some judging. And I know we had a bit of uh, odd officiating over the weekend. So, oh yeah, we, to we had dive uh, into that. We had quite a sore thumb stick out on this one, didn't we? And <laughs> we'll get to that one uh, in due time. But first, I think we probably just want to. Uh, well, actually, even before we go on, Dan or um, Nick, why don't you shout out your social media handles? How can we find you? Sure. Um, your audience can find me on Twitter at Nick Baldwin MMA. Um, you can kind of just find all my work there. I'll, I'll tweet it out when I have something good to share. And, and that's really it. Right on, right on. So, yeah, let's before we get into the awful refereeing situation, which is like I, I'm probably being kind by dis- describing it that way. Let's talk about some of the more fun things, the less um, brutally beating aspects of Saturday's fights over in Abu Dhabi at UFC 267, and let's lead off with, of course, the feel-good story, possibly of the year, Glover Teixeira getting the historic victory that everyone kind of counted him out of years ago ever becoming the light heavyweight champion. He is now the light heavyweight champion, beat Jan Blachowicz. I mean, that was kind of a wire-to-wire, it wasn't a very long fight, but it was really all his fight, right, Dan? It was his fight, pretty much, the whole way. He got hit with a couple shots, and he weathered it, so... It was it was really impressive just to watch him. And, and and to be fair, I don't know the how strong Jan Blahovich looked in that fight. Like something, I don't Seemed know. Off. Yeah, I'm not the first person to say that. I don't want to think I'm some sort of originator of this thought. But it does seem like there's a, there's a common thread here that a lot of people are kind of saying, like, he just didn't look right. And look, that happens. Sometimes athletes just don't perform the way they want to, the way they expect to. Uh, Nick, what did you think of... of a kind of the fight, not just uh, Jan, but especially Glover, uh, an impressive uh, performance from him. Yeah, I mean, you saying this was maybe the feel-good story of 2021 is bang on. Like, Glover Teixeira winning the light heavyweight title legitimately, too. Like, this wasn't, you know, a vacant title fight even. This wasn't an interim title fight. This wasn't a lucky punch. This wasn't a bad scorecard. Like, he went in there and just dominated Jan Blachowicz, who, yeah, maybe isn't going to go down as the greatest UFC champion in, in history, but he did legitimately win the belt against a guy that, you know, a lot of people thought beat John Jones. I mean, Jan Blachowicz deserved to be in that championship spot, and, and Teixeira just, you know, went in with a perfect game plan and executed to a T. And Jan Blachowicz just either wasn't ready for it, wasn't wasn't skilled enough to defend those takedowns, wasn't skilled enough to get up off his back, whatever it was. Um, Glover did everything right. Um, as Dan said, he did eat a couple shots, but he, he ate them. He, he kept going forward. Um, it was maybe not like the most exciting fight or, or the most, uh, the prettiest fight we've ever seen, but no. it was, a, a, <laughs> in some ways, I mean, not really a masterclass. I, I don't know if we, we can go that far, but it was a tremendous performance from Glover for as long as fight lasted. And 
just a wild, wild story to see him go from, you know, two and three in his past five fights back in 2018, knockout losses, ridden off, you know, around the age of 36, 37, and to come in at, at 42 and, and win gold. Truly, truly tremendous. It's absolutely a remarkable story. And and, and who doesn't like Glover Teixeira? I mean, most people don't know Glover Teixeira personally. Uh, and I actually have not had the chance to speak with him just yet, but he just seems like the type of guy that, I mean, we've said this on the show before, he's someone I want over for, like, the barbecue. He just seems <laughs> like that kind of guy who'd be fun to have, fun to hang around with, just a chill guy, nice guy, right? Well, and I actually kind of have, like, a, a funny story about that. Not, yeah. Nothing too specific, but he actually competed on the UFC Winnipeg card back in December of 2018. That was his fight against Misha Serkinov. Yeah. Um, and so I went to that event. I of course lived in Winnipeg at the time and I, I wasn't actually covering the card as media, but I, I hung out at the fighter hotel all week, did interviews. So I, I did actually get the, the chance to speak with Glover before that fight at the hotel. But the, the story is more so just to your point, um, Scott, like he, he kind of was just chilling at the hotel. Like he had his family there, had his, had his wife, had his, you know, friends corners and he was kind of just chilling the hotel lobby like at, at several points in the week and just kind of hanging out like a like a 30 70 or 37 year old guy does um and it was just cool to see like he didn't have the appearance of one of the top light heavyweights in, in the ufc he was kind of just hanging out doing his thing and and then two days later he went in and and got a TKO over over misha serkinov so i think that was just like a, a real cool thing to see kind of the the human side of glover Absolutely. Yeah. And and I think that is what we liked about this fight kind of coming into it, because it wasn't necessarily I don't think it was a fight that had a lot of, let's say, buzz juice to it. I mean, buzz, it was interesting in the sense that, you know, this was an anticipated fight to some degree, but there's no animosity. Nobody was going back and forth. I mean, in during the week you had Glover, of course, had his birthday. Jan singing happy birthday to him, gives him <laughs> gives him a nice beer. You know, it was it was just like. It was the the friendliest buildup to a fight in this division for a title, I think, possibly ever, because we've had a lot of uh, history of animosity in the 205-pound division, a very lengthy history of it. So this was a like totally the exception to that. But thinking about 205 here, look, he's 42. Glover Teixeira is 42 years old. It's unrealistic to think that this man is going to be the champion for years to come. I don't think anybody, <laughs> I'm sure even Glover understands that there is a window here. Uh, but let me ask you, Dan, let's start with you. 205 pounds. Next year, this time next year, what does the pecking order look like? Who's the champion and who are the few guys kind of in that circle of maybe getting back to the title? Is it Glover or is it someone else? Yuri's the champ. Okay. Rakic is, is hanging around in the mix. Uh, Ankalaev is probably on the on the cusp of it by then. And you got uh, Anthony Smith, who just won't go away, who's, who's you know going to make a claim for why he should be allowed to fight again for the belt. So you're writing off uh, in the in this instance you're writing off Jan and you're writing off Glover. Yeah. Okay. Um, Interesting. Not be well. I like Glover. I just don't think he's gonna want to stick around. He said he doesn't want to fight till May. I mean, come on. You know, you know <laughs> that drives me crazy. I know you. Um, you want them to fight seven times I, in in four months. He, he could fight in March. <laughs> not really. Like, March. March is reasonable. May is kind of absurd as a healthy fighter. He's an old man. Leave him alone. Oh, yeah, but just fight. <laughs> what do you What do you think, Nick? What do you think the kind of the pecking order is gonna be? Oh, it's tough to say. Um, I think I agree mostly with Dan, but I do think Glover's going to be there. It's tough to say if he's going to be the champ this time next year, just because if he doesn't want to fight till May, that means he only needs to win one fight. If something happens, I mean, he last fought before yesterday against Thiago Santos a year ago. And so 
we very well could be talking about Glover's title first title defense happening this time next year. Like that, that is a possibility as well. I hope not, and, and I know Dan hopes not. For sure, um, <laughs> but if, if I had to say, I I am going to go Jiri uh, Prochaska as the champion. Um, I actually picked Glover against Blahovich, Um, but I don't see him getting past Prochaska. I, I I don't see many people getting past Prochaska. I think he's really good, and I just think his excitement and and his wild nature is a problem for everybody um i think Ankalaev is going to be right there i don't know if we'll see him in a title fight in the next 365 days um so i guess like in the next year it's probably just going to be Prochaska beating glover and that's about it um i i think this time next year we might be talking about jiri fighting like a rackage but i don't think it'll happen quite yet so mm. i think those are kind of the names you'll you'll hear about blahovich probably not going to go away completely but i also don't see Yan getting back to the title and maybe never even fighting for it again. It, it's tough to say, though. It's very possible. And, and you know what? I, I wouldn't even rule out entirely uh, Yan deciding at some point he wants to go up to heavyweight. He gets very big between fights and, and obviously he comes back down and he fights at a relatively healthy weight. But he told me earlier this year that he sometimes gets up as high as 250 pounds between fights. Wow. So to have to train down to an athletic weight. I mean, at some point, you just kind of don't want to do it anymore. He's a big guy. I bet you he could actually be interesting in the heavyweight division. I don't know if he'd become the champion, but maybe that's just something that interests him. You know, maybe it's like, I did this already. Let's go for something else. So I don't know, but I wouldn't rule it out. I guess I would probably lean to kind of a hybrid of what you guys are saying. You know, it's probably, I, I do picture uh, Yuri Prohaska being the champion. I do. Um, I don't, I think it would be too hard for Glover to disappear completely. I won't even rule out Jan. Um, but yeah, I think Rakic is probably someone who's probably going to be, you know, the next guy, depending on how that shakes out. If he does end up fighting uh, Anthony Lionheart Smith, that could be interesting if that goes. I don't know. It, it is interesting. I do think we are in a very interesting period of 205 pounds. It's, it's been a while since we've had so many names that kind of make it interesting. John Jones obviously destroyed that because he was just so good. I mean, that yeah. it's not it's not his fault. Uh, everything else is his fault. We don't have to get into that. And stuff who knows today. if he wants to come back? Who knows? Yeah. That would be that would throw a wrench in everything. I don't think so. he's going to. He's he's looking pretty big these days. So well, that's just it. Like how how I mean, he could get back down, but it, it's going to take like a year, probably, like mm. by his standards. And by then, he's thirty five. Like yeah, I mean, I I think he's committed enough to heavyweight that it's not that viable to go back to two hundred five. We've more or less gone too far. I I, th I think okay. I agree with you, Nick. Um, let's move on, though, because obviously there was a second title fight here, um, even though it was announced as the two-time bantamweight champion of the world, Pedro <laughs> Yan. Uh, that's not exactly the case. Uh, Joe Martinez kind of fudged that a little bit because Yan is now the interim bantamweight champion. I think most of us still view him as the actual best 135-pounder in the world over the current, what do you call it, uh, Not not actual champion, but... Aljamain Sterling holding the, I mean, the, tro holding the trolls belt. like to call it the paper champ, what, the paper champ. Sure. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he does hold the belt and he won it in a way that is a totally viable way to do it. But he also won it in a fight that we all know he was not winning up until the point that, yeah, I made a mistake. And Jan looked phenomenal on Saturday against a very viable challenger. Uh, well, not challenger, but uh, other person vying for an interim title in Corey Sanhagen. Great fight. First off, I I had a lot of fun watching that one. I actually had to watch it. I had to watch it on my phone in the car as we were driving to a Halloween party. So I was there's a lot of commitment here, but also wasn't ideal situation here. Uh, Nick, why don't we start with you? Uh, because now we have Yan back at the top. My my question is more of the long term 
variety here. Barring some sort of future disqualification again or shenanigans where he forgets the rules or something like that, can he have a long, like a year's long reign at 135 pounds? Oh, that's tough because Bantamweight is just so deep and there's always guys coming up and and there's always someone better than the next guy. Um, Peter Yan does feel like the type of guy who could be at the top for a while, but I'll actually say no. Like, I, I don't think we're talking about him as a champion maybe three years from now. Like, that is a long time. That's so, a I mean, very long time, yeah. yeah. I, I guess, like... Let's, I, you I know just, what? I, let's, let's put a number on it. Let's say, will he be the champion at the start of... 2023 about a year and a half from now yeah that that i mean like a year and a half is not that like i i just don't see this being like an amanda nunes type scenario or like a john jones type scenario i I don't think it's going to be some historic title reign just because you don't know who who's coming up like maybe sean o'malley gets really good all of a sudden like right now yeah he's not fighting peter yan or, or beating peter yan but hey he's still young maybe he gets better um it if this was like the light headweight version of Peter Yan, I would say, yeah, he's better than everybody right now. Clearly, he's going to be the champ until he wants to not be the champ anymore. But at 135 in, in such a competitive division, I just can't see anybody holding that belt for a long for, for that long. I mean, Henry Suda might come back. Like he could beat Yan. You never know. That's a tough one. Um, so I'm going to say like Peter Yan's not going to be the champ for that long, but. I do see him holding on to it for a little while. I think right now he's better than pretty much everybody by quite a bit. Um, and he's getting better. So that helps too. That's a, that's a fair assessment. Uh, Dan, what do you think? Yeah, uh, I, I have thoughts too, but I want to go with you first. I, I agree with Nick. I said it perfect. 135 is so deep that, you know, who knows who's going to come up in the next year or two. That may be really, really good. And MMB, MMA being so unforgiving, I, I could definitely see him getting caught by someone and, and getting put out. Uh, don't know who. But just the way he fights, he's get he gets into those, you know, kind of firefights a little bit. I could see it happening. Uh, the guys we're going to talk about in a, in a few minutes, I could see those guys being the next, you know, GSP, John Jones, perhaps. But uh, I'll save them for that. Yeah, yeah. Well, we, we've had real, a few times. Real quickly. Yeah, yeah sure. Real quick, sorry, excuse me. Real quickly, if you don't mind, like one name that actually could be the champ, like not that far from now, Rob Devalishvili. Like the yes. guy is a monster. And you you know you give him a, another step up, like he could be there too. So um, just to that point, that there's a lot of guys that Peter Yan's going to have to beat, and it's going to be a tough task. It is a tough task. And I mean, you know, T.J. Dillashaw, you can certainly throw in there. There's a fresh challenger that he he would, I mean, very viably could be his next challenger after Aljamain Sterling because he actually got the win over Corey Sanhagen. Whether you felt that way or not, it's on the ledger as the win. Um, I'm actually going to be a little more uh, gutsy here. I'm going to say that Peter Yan is the man who will bring balance to 135 pounds, put it under his thumb, and he's going to knock away all these challengers. And he's going to be, I think we're going to be talking about him as as potential the best at 135 pounds in an era where it's even more impressive. I just have that feeling from this kid. He's got a lot of potential. He's still young. He's only, I think, 28 years old. Um, the only thing I think actually could limit him is I wonder if he wants to fight all that long because he has to train away from his family in Siberia. He loves his family. He's very much a family man. You saw his son. You saw his wife over there in Abu Dhabi. Uh, I get the sense that when he's away from them, he he misses them like something fierce, and it's very uh, tough for him to be away. So I wonder how much longer he's going to really want to do that, especially if he does start knocking away some of these challengers. Maybe he's Maybe he's not long for the sport. Who knows? Uh, but I do think 
until he decides to, whether it's short term or long term. I think he's someone who can really knock out Marab Davalashvili. I'm not saying knock out, I guess, but beat some of these yeah. guys. I think he can do it. I really believe in him. He's got amazing, well-rounded talent. He's a great striker. He can wrestle. He can do pretty much everything you need him to do. So I like the skill set, and we'll see. He has to get past Aljo Sterling, though. And yes, he does. Know. He does, in fact, know. have to unify know. that belt. That's a fair point, Nick. <laughs> uh, and we'll see. Maybe he can do it. Maybe he won't, uh, you know, Aljo. meet his opponent on the ground again. Aljo gets dragged, but he's got a small special place in my heart. I mean, I was there live in, in Morristown, New Jersey, for his debut fight. So I kind of always want to root for him to, to do well. But I know I know he's he's been some some of the things he's been saying is kind of tough. Uh, so yeah, it's it's hard. And obviously the way he wanted it, you know, there's yeah. no way to really look at that and be like, and look, it's not his fault that he was need while he was on the ground. There's no one's faulting him for that. But it's also hard to look at him and be like, yeah, this guy was the champ. He was a legitimate yeah. champion. It's just yeah. he got the belt. That's all it really was. But Sanhagen, the other half of our equation for this fight, he's he's faced all the best guys now at 135 pounds, almost all of them anyway. You know, he's fared well against them. He hasn't beaten them all but he's fared really well. What do you do with this guy? I mean, it, I don't know what to do with him next. Uh, what do you think, Dan? Let's start with you. Uh, I like two names come to mind. I don't know if either one, I know Rob's probably not booked, so I would, I'd like to see him face Mirab, and I'd like to see him face Rob Font. So what about you, Nick? What do you think? Well, in terms of like, you know, a, a short term, midterm, or however you want to call it trajectory for, for Corey Sandig. And it's tough because this kind of feels like, you know, when you're the, you know, you, you get a title shot, lose, you get a, an immediate rematch, and then you're in the spot where, like, you've lost twice to the champ. I know he hasn't lost twice to Sterling or Yan, whoever you want to call the real champ, but mm. it just feels like that scenario where he just lost to TJ, close fight, but he did lose. Now he's lost two in a row, and he's kind of lost to everybody who's relevant, except for, like, Rob Font. They haven't fought, of course, um, but he's lost to Sterling and Yan and TJ the top three guys right now in the, in the rankings. So it's tough because Corey Sandigan is still a super talented fighter. Like he beats almost everybody in the division. So I, I think you just got to give him a, not a huge step down because you don't want to have, have a mismatch necessarily, but you got to get his confidence back. You got to give him like, I don't really want to see the Rob font fight or, you know, the winner between font, Aldo, whoever wins, but um, I, I think you give him like a, a Dominic Cruz. I know Cruz is fighting Pedro Munoz, maybe the winner of that fight, or or Frankie Edgar and, and Chido Vera are fighting, maybe the winner of that, like in that nine to, to 12 range, so to speak. Um, because Sandhagen needs to win a few fights to get back into the real title mix. Um, he's still one of the best, but he's in an odd scenario where he just can't beat the absolute best. Um, even though I would put him right in that conversation, like I believe he's an he's an elite bantamweight, but Uriah he's just Faber taking a lot of tough fights and, and falling short. Was was that yeah, Dan? A little uh, Uriah Faber to him can get yeah. there, but he can't get the job done after it. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it's quite that simple with him. I think it's first off, he's still a young fighter. Faber exactly. was kind of he had already had his title reign when he was trying to get back. Oh, yeah. It was a little bit different. He was on top of the world and then he was trying to get back to it. Sanhagen is still very young. I think I, I want to say he's actually like 26, 27. I, mean, I can't remember, um, but he, he's still a young guy. He's still kind of on the come up in that sense. Um, well, I'll tell you a name I actually think would be interesting. And this obviously depends on how it shakes out uh, in the fight in December. But Jose Aldo. I think would be a very interesting opponent for him. Now, he, Jose Aldo has Rob Font next. We've been talking about Rob Font. I actually think the loser of that fight would be a very sensible matchup for Corey Sanhagen because, let's face it, Corey Sanhagen, whether you thought he won any of these fights or not, he's on a two-fight losing streak. 
I think it's okay to put him up against a losing fighter, especially one of note, of merit. You don't want to knock him down too far, but I think that would be a pretty interesting scenario if they said, okay, you're going against Rob Font, potentially, you know, who obviously just had a setback, or you're going against Jose Aldo, which is a very interesting fight in and of itself. Two strikers that would be, I think that would just be fantastic to watch. Yeah, I'm I'm on board. I, I think that makes sense. It's it's not too big of a step down, whereas I said, it's kind of a mismatch. Why, what's the point? But it's not you know another absolute like number one kind of kind of fight yeah i don't i don't want to put him in there with marab devalishvili because that's a terrible matchup for him stylistically and i don't think it'd be a very interesting fight that's almost a fight you make if you're just saying let's you know what we're done with Corey sanhagen he's just gonna lose this one so i don't love that one yet i'd rather like to see that maybe a little bit down the line when maybe sanhagen's got a little bit more uh, momentum under his belt and i get it like it's sink or swim but also we can find other ways to match him up and, and do that before we need to do that fight. I'm okay with waiting. And as you said, he's still young. So these losses might not necessarily dictate his future. Like we're talking as if, oh, if he loses one more, he's done. He's out of the UFC forever. But exactly. th- like, what is he, 30, 29? Like he still has many, many years. Doesn't take a ton of damage or at least hadn't until maybe the Peter Yan uh, fight. But so, yeah, I mean, he, he could totally bounce back. A, he could be a champ like this guy could be the ufc bandweight champion you know sometime in the next five years that, sure. that's a very real possibility absolutely and he's 29 i just googled it he actually yeah. turns 30 uh on 420 next year that is uh that is true uh moving on though because you know we want to kind of get a little bit closer to our contested rounds but there's still some interesting things that happen we had a lot of fights going on two very uh impressive performances on the main card outside of the title fights here uh, we're in the lightweight division and in the welterweight division by a couple of guys from that Middle East region where all of these amazing wrestlers and strikers and all sorts of fighters are coming out of Sambo experts and these kind of things. So here's the two names, and I want to know what you guys think, and we'll start with Nick. How close do you think they are to a title shot after their big wins? Islam Makachev and Hamza Shemaev. Islam I'm of the belief that you could give him a title shot next. I know on paper, in terms of caliber of opponent, beating Dan Hooker doesn't necessarily warrant a title shot, but the the winning streak and, and the ease with which he's beaten everybody except for, who was it, Adriana Martins back in the day, whoever, whatever. It's a while back. The guy is unstoppable so far. He finally has a, a pretty big name on his resume, a, a top six guy in Dan Hooker. I just think this comes down to the fact that Islam Makashev could be the best lightweight in the UFC right now. Like he could definitely be favored against everybody, including Dustin Poirier. Am like an I uncrowned saying? champ scenario? In some ways, yeah. I mean, respect to Dustin Poirier. I think he's a tremendous fighter. I think he'll be the champ in December. But like the odds could like in terms of the betting odds, Islam could be favored against him. Like I I might pick uh, him against Poor. I might go the other way. But the point is that's a close fight. So what's the point in in doing like Benil Dariush? I, I think that could make sense. But in some ways, depending on how the Oliveira Pore and the Chandler Gaethje fights play out, I really do think there's a chance Islam could be fighting for a title next, and I'm okay with that. If you want to give him one more, fair, but. I think you just capitalize on the moment and 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 see you, you know find out for sure is this guy the best lightweight in in the UFC cuz I think there's a chance he is. Absolutely that that's an interesting thought. And and actually Dan before we even move on to uh to Chimaev here what do you think of uh Islam? I I agree you can give him I think you can give Makachev the next next shot. But I I disagree. I do want to see that matchup with Darius 
just because I think the styles, I think Dariush is a big guy, very good grappler. I want to see how Makachev handles a guy like that. Would you so, would you want to see that one as like a five rounder, like headlining one of these yeah, oh, uh, yeah, fight yeah, nights yeah, that yeah. we always complain about? I, I mean, yeah, I want every fight five rounds. Well, of course you do. So, except heavyweights. <laughs> yeah, heavyweights but, are yeah. one round, uh, Nick. We're, we're all about <laughs> of the one round heavyweight fights, except for at the top. Yeah, I I I I can be on board with that. I, I can go along with that. <laughs> right on, Dan. You have more? Yeah, that, that's the only matchup I'd want to see beforehand if he wasn't to get the next shot. So. Okay. Yeah, I'm with, I'm with you guys. I agree. I think he's absolutely earned the right to have that next shot. It's really it's you know how these things are. It's almost are you available? Who's available to take the fight? So he's in that that kind of conversation where the UFC would start calling him and say, "Are you ready to fight the champ at the the date that we need you to fight?" And yeah. he'd probably say yes. So as long as he can do that, I think that's probably yeah. kind of the range we're talking about with him. What about Chimaev here, Dan? Let's start with you. How close is this guy to I, a Because he's I, an interesting case. I want him in the ring in MSG next Saturday <laughs> against Usman. In, in five days, you want him to I step in, in instead of yep. Colby? I mean, look, I, I'm actually okay with that in the sense that it gets Colby out of there. But I mean, the, the guy literally picked up Li Jing Lang like he was Os Hezbollah. And walked him across the cage in front of Dana White, talking to him the entire time, and then proceeded to just beat the snot out of him. I, I, the guy is very, very impressive, and I, I think we can push him very hard. Nick, what do you think? I agree in some ways. I think we have to pump the brakes in terms of the, of the title fight right away. I think he's one away. I, I think you give him like a top five guy. Personally, I want to see the Gilbert Burns fight. I think that is maybe – I mean – obviously outside of Usman and probably I would put Colby in that conversation too. Burns is outside of those two guys, maybe even ahead of Colby, how, whatever you want to look at it. Mm -hmm. Burns is a tough mashup for him just because he is a tremendous grappler himself. I don't think Chemayev necessarily can do to Burns what he did to Li Jing Liang, but there's only one way to find out. Like maybe he can. And, and so if he's going to beat Usman, he has to beat Gilbert Burns. I think that's an awesome matchup. I don't think you can give him the title shot right away. I just don't think that's fair to Leon Edwards, for instance, who no. has done everything um, to get a title shot, and yet he's fighting Jorge Masvidal, who's lost two in a row and and doesn't seem to be maybe a top five guy anymore. Um, but I'm all for fast-tracking Hamza Chmaev up the rankings. I think he proved a lot by beating number 11. I think you give him that top five guy, whether it's Vicente Luque or Gilbert Burns or, or Colby, if he loses to Usman next weekend, I don't care that much. I think one of those three makes sense. If he wins, which he may, then you do Usman, then you do the title shot. Um, I think he's one away if the matchmaking goes right. If you give him like a Neil Magny, then you're, he's probably not one, one away. But I don't think you need to do a Neil Magny or, or like a Bilal Muhammad fight. I think Hamsat is past that at this point. Um, he's so good. He, he's a special fighter. And yeah, I want to see him fight the best. Yeah, you know, it's funny you mentioned Neil Magny and how you don't think that necessarily the best way to go. I don't know if that's where it is the best way to go either, but I will say this. The way that the UFC has often booked some of their sky-rising talents here, I think back to uh, Conor McGregor, they had him, they fed him Dennis Seaver. And then from that, he jumped into the interim title fight. That was a fight that was put together as to have a, a someone who was a fading name that they could add, and not that Seaver was a, even a large name at that point, but someone that could keep him busy enough, get another win, and then be like, okay, now we can get him in because he's still got the hotness. I almost wonder if that's something that they might do, not to not to write off Neil Magny, who is a very, very tough opponent, and I wouldn't even rule him out entirely in a fight against Shemaev, but I think that that's something they could put together, and then they would probably feel a little bit safer 
getting the result that they're hoping for the UFC and then be able to put him in the title fight. So I could see that happening. But either way, I do think he needs at least one more win, uh, even if it's someone like that scenario where they just want to get another win in there and say, okay, now he's beating a couple ranked guys, put him in the title fight. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you're right that that could happen just based on what they've done before with the McGregor Seaver fight. And I'm sure there's other examples we could think of. But sure. I, I just kind of wonder, like, what's the point? Because I don't really, I, I wouldn't consider, if I mean, if you're looking at the rankings and just in terms of skill level, yes, Magny beat uh, Li Jingyang. But in terms of how good they are, Neil Magny's not that much of a bigger win than Li Jingyang. Like that, that doesn't all of a sudden prove that oh, Shemaev is ready for a title shot if he can get past Magny. Like if he can do that, I, I I just think you to to get him to that title, you gotta have him fight a top five guy. Um, if we're having, I know MMA is like barely a sport. I know UFC is like in it for the money, <laughs> but like yeah. if we're or if we're doing any sort of like normalcy or or, or common sense, I don't think Neil Magny title shot is is the path to go here. I would agree with you. I I actually wholeheartedly agree with you, but. It could As happen. you acknowledged, that is the way they do things. So I'm I'm thinking more of a realistic scenario as opposed right. to a scenario I want. because uh, I do want to see them get those challenges. I actually I'm I'm with you. I like I I imagine you probably see things similar to me. You see it as a sport merit based to some degree. You'd like to I try. be able to pro- I try. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, I think we're on the same <laughs> page here. But we don't live in that world, as you know. <laughs> I apologize, there's a train like right outside my house. <laughs> We were wondering what that was. All of a sudden, I'm like, oh, is there an airplane in your uh, in your home or what's, what's going on over there? Uh, but yeah, I think that's probably a sign that it's time to stop talking about this particular subject. Uh, let's move on, though, because we have to talk about at least one more thing from the uh, from Saturday. And that was what we alluded to before. The awful, awful, awful refereeing that we got from Vyacheslav Kisilev, who was named, I'm not sure if I'm saying right, but I probably did a better job of it than he did of refereeing the fight between Eliseo Zaleski Dos Santos and Benoit, Benoit Saint-Denis. Uh, I'm sure I messed that up a little bit, but I hope it did okay. What do you, what do you guys think? Did I get it or not? It sounded pretty good to me. Close All right. enough. All right. All right. Uh, but yeah, obviously this ref was so poor in this fight, uh, particularly in round two uh, and beyond in uh, Sandini taking just an, an unnecessarily disgusting beating from Zaleski Dos Santos, which is not CDS's fault. It is the referee's fault for not coming even remotely close to stopping this fight. Uh, he had to be pulled from his future assignments of this card. We don't see this very often, and I think it's one of those things you really don't want to see unless it's absolutely necessary. This was absolutely necessary. I spoke to some officials uh, off the record, too, that were also kind of like, this was not good. Like you can't do this. And we had John, a big John McCarthy, of course, one of the most visible guys in the sport, a referee himself saying like, this was, this was nonsense. So uh, what I ask you guys is kind of what was going through your head as you're watching this crazy uh, fight that just wouldn't end. Go down, Dan, start with you. I didn't have the sound on uh, while I was watching this event. I had uh, other things going on. Other things. Uh, Got it. Other games uh, that I was had, that had the sound gotcha. uh, preference, but uh, he's against a cage. Is he in shot? I'm like, all right, he's, you can stop it. You can stop it now. <laughs> all right, you can stop it. You can stop it now. And just never <laughs> stopped it. I'm like, okay. I'm a, and I'm like, well, he, I guess maybe he thinks he's throwing because the guy's throwing punches back. But these are like the least, these are like such half-hearted strikes that are being returned that, I mean, the, the guy was done. Is he intelligently defending just oh. by throwing a punch like that? I, I think that's this probably was, the question, this right? Was, this, was, this was bad. And I got to watch it with the sound today. So 
was like, oh, wow. Everyone was saying exactly what I was saying. I was yes, it's it, true. So. Everybody was. Uh, were, were you as well, Nick? Yeah, I mean, it wasn't even going through my head. Like, I was talking to my TV, maybe similarly <laughs> to Dan. I was, I was with a few friends watching the fights or whatever. And, yeah, I mean, it. it I mean, exactly what, what Dan was saying. It was at a point where it's like, okay, the, he's taken enough damage. You probably can step in and then on and on. And he just never stepped in. It was it – was, in terms of just the lack of a stoppage from the strikes, we've probably actually seen worse scenarios. I remember the CB Dalloway fight. I believe that was a Russia card, but I can't remember back in I think I know the one you mean, actually. I, I, yeah, I don't recall the opponent's name. Um, I think it was uh, Mirza Zaliev. Is that the one you're thinking of? Probably. Yeah. Maybe. I, 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 I would imagine we're talking about the same thing. I think Because okay. CB Dalloway – it, it was bad. I mean, I think it was Herb Dean actually. So, yeah. you know, he, he gets is. Um, as a as a top referee, top name in the refereeing world. Um, I think he got a pass in some ways, but yeah, that was bad. Dalloway was just on the canvas, eating shots, ground a pound, very nasty shots. I I think that was actually worse. I think we've probably seen worse scenarios, but with this referee in particular, I think the madness and, and the the frustration of the MMA community stemmed not just from the lack of a stoppage from the strikes but the 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 awful officiating that i guess we'll probably get to as well where there was just a few other issues and combined this ref just had no business being in there no it, it was so clear that it, that he i don't know what the reason was but he wasn't executing uh the job in the way that you would expect i mean there were there was audible i can't see coming out of benoit sending yes. oh. like when you say you can't see isn't isn't that the end Right, I mean, I don't think I'm wrong here. That once you or, hear that, or at, or at the very least, bring in a doctor. Yes, like, would that be like, so hard to least. say? Let's let's bring in a a licensed physician who is supposed to be there to protect the fighters from this scenario and, and evaluate them. Yeah, that was nuts. I I couldn't believe it. And then of course he gets back to his corner. And Dan, I think you remember exactly what he what his corner said to him when we're all hoping that his corner is just gonna save this oh. fighter. Yeah, which we knew wouldn't happen. First off, right, it's MMA. the corner does get some blame, but the ref, the, it's all on the ref. But he gets back to his corner, and his corner goes, "You have to stop getting hit." <laughs> like it's good advice. Hey, awesome. I would, I would do my best to do not, <laughs> not get hit too. He probably wasn't even comprehending that at the point. He had to be like concussed to a, uh, to a pretty severe degree. Yeah, I, I don't know. So, one thing quickly about the cornerman of Benoit Saint Denis. Yes. I, I read a headline. I, I didn't look at, at the full article, but I just remember seeing something about his coach said he never even thought about throwing the towel and that people are too sensitive when it comes to corner stopping fights. So, yeah. I mean, obviously, we, we, like you said, you didn't read the article and we have to be careful about that. But nonetheless, that certainly meshes with kind of what we saw and what we know about most MMA corners is they're very willing to let their fighters. Go out on their shield, which is the the phrase everybody loves to throw out there. Uh, what shield? I'm sorry. It's, when you go to the cemetery one day, you're not on a shield. You're in a you're in a pine box. So maybe we kind of get clean that up a little bit. But actually, real quick, I just want to before we move on uh, to some more stuff. You brought up that Dalloway fight. That Dalloway fight in particular, if we're talking about the same one, is one of the very few instances that one judge gave a 10-7 round to Murtaz Aliyev in that fight because we just don't see it very often. I mean, we, I don't think we've ever had a unanimous 10-7, at least in recent years, just from the study that I do on the data of this type of thing. But that that round is funny because Dalloway is actually having a little bit of success in the beginning of that round as well. It's not a total shutout, but then all of a sudden it gets to the point where we're all like, yeah, stop the fight, stop the fight, stop the fight. 
that's where you almost start to go for the 10-7, right? But this round in particular, this round over the weekend, just a 10-8. I, I could see it not getting to a 10-7 because Denise or St. Denise actually rocks uh, sure. ZDS. Yeah, there's a little the bit. Of, there's so a little bit of yeah. It's like he. I mean, it's not like he was just landing a couple punches. He actually, I think he hurt him a little bit. No, I mean, I, so, I don't disagree. And we never like, again, we never see ten seven. So I, right, I yeah. don't sit there with any expectation that there's going to be I mean, a seven thrown out. I there. wish this was a ten seven because it, it should I do be. Too. It was to that degree where I mean, it's it's beyond a ten eight. I feel like the rules but, should allow for it to be a ten seven. Yes. Is what we're talking about, right? Yeah. Yeah. What do you, what do you think of sevens and and stuff like that in MMA, uh, Nick? Well, I mean, like if we're going by the current guidelines, the reason we don't see 10 sevens almost ever is because usually that means the fight has ended. The, the referee has stepped right. in. Like if it gets that Essentially, bad, yes. there's just no opportunity for 10 seven. The, the fight is over. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think Shamayev, his debut against John Phillips, that was a 10 seven, I believe. Wasn't One it? judge did. Mark Collette. Did okay. Yes. Okay. If, if leading, so. if leading go to sleep in that round, miraculously, it would have been a 10 seven. Oh, uh, you this, mean Li uh, Jingliang? Yeah, yeah, that would have been another ten seven for a. Quite possibly, quite possibly. I don't know. About yeah. That, though. Um. In, in terms of this round specifically, I I do think I had it a ten seven, um. But it's close. It's like it's a it's a clear ten eight, obviously. But it's very like in between. Like if you want to do ten seven, that's cool. If you want to do ten eight, that's also cool. I mean, the 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 thing with MMA scoring is as you guys certainly know, and a lot of people know, is it, it's just so like a 10, nine can mean very different things. And a 10, eight can very also in, in the same right. way mean very different things. So, you know, either way it's, it's it was a dominant round. Like that's kind of what matters. Uh, and then of course in round three, it's somehow the ref wakes up and he's like, I'm going to take a point for the gra- uh, the groin strike that Zaleski Dos Santos threw to San Denis. It's just like, what, what what's the point of that? I mean, not that we're necessarily against points being taken. Dan and I are very pro points uh, being taken without warning even because the warning's in the back. But it was just like a comedy of errors. Like this is when you start to, maybe, to put yourself in. Maybe he noticed a very displeased Mark Goddard cage side <laughs> and was like, I'm just going to double down. Yeah. No one was happy about this. And obviously he was removed and, and the, all was right with the world from there on. All I hope is that Benoit Saint Denis with all of the damage he took in that fight and that round in particular round two, I hope he bounces back. Okay. And is, and can be able to resume a, a relatively normal career. That's what I hope. Hopefully. I, yeah. I asked this half jokingly, but half seriously. Like, is there any chance this ref just like didn't know the rules in terms of when you should stop a fight? I like, I, I'm kind of actually being serious because I've never seen him before. I guess this is probably his first UFC fight. He's probably done a few local whatever. Is there a chance that he just thought like, I mean, not that this was a fight to the death, but like in that <laughs> direction, like I, more so than a, a real MMA fight. I will give you a little bit of context that I've heard secondhand. I, everything is coming from secondhand here, but my understanding is there are some officials who have been aware of his record before and that this was certainly nothing they were expecting if this you know, for this referee to be a fi- uh, assigned here, that there would be some sort of uh, failure to stop a fight when it clearly should have been. Um, it was... I don't know that they necessarily thought that this, and I don't want to put any words in anyone's mouth, even when they're not being named here. I don't think they expected what happened to happen is really sure. kind of the, the, the gist That's of it there. Fair. And also uh, Kaposa, uh, the venerable Kaposa, who knows everything about MMA, especially in Russia and all over parts of the world that we never pay attention to. Uh, he's seen this referee before. I don't think he was necessarily surprised by what happened exactly, but uh, I'm sure he knows how to stop a fight. The funny thing was, and I think it was Amy Kaplan, uh, from over at Fanside had shared uh, a screenshot of of uh, Sherdog's profile of him when he was a fighter about 18 years ago. 
He was 0-4 as a fighter with four first-round stoppages. My, my, I guess, dark joke here was that, uh, you know, he lost by stoppages in all of his fights, and he said, never again will a fight be stopped. <laughs> they will fight until the end. Uh, and I hope that's not the case. Of course, I, it's it's a dark joke, but and and super quickly, like the yeah. only other thing I wonder about this ref is the UFC acts as their own commissions in in certain places, including Abu Dhabi. Yes, why aren't they picking the absolute best referees that are available? I mean, maybe it is an issue with available availability. Maybe Dan Mergliata or or Herb Dean don't. You know, they don't want to fly to Abu Dhabi. I, I can't say for sure. But Dana White always talks about how this ref sucked and this ref sucked and they need better refs and commission picks the terrible refs. Why is the UFC not taking advantage of being able to pick their own refs and going with this guy? Like, I'm, I am I can't understand it. Uh, typically, uh, when they travel, Mark Ratner has a large role to play in in getting the officials assigned to there. Uh, when they travel abroad like this, uh, IMMAF is a lot involved. That's why Mark Goddard uh, had kind of a role to play in this, because he, he is heavily involved in IMMAF, which is a great organization. Um, I imagine, and I, this I actually didn't, I didn't get the chance to speak with anybody about this, but if, if I was to uh, take a bit of a guess here, I would think that IMMAF probably identified him as a ref that maybe been doing a decent job on the on the regional circuit somewhere, and they said, "Hey, you know what? Let's call him up. He's in their area. You know, he's over in Europe. Let's use." And they obviously used an all uh, European judging crew for this one, uh, as opposed to bringing in anyone like Sal D'Amato or anybody from North America, which was unique for these Abu Dhabi fights. We've seen kind of a hybrid mixture: some of the top officials from Europe, top officials from America, and we were expecting that coming in, and that didn't really play out. The only two American officials we had were Jason Herzog, who's, of course, fantastic, fleet of foot, as as uh, John Ennick likes to say. And, uh, I mean, Mark Goddard really is actually, I mean, obviously he's a European ref, so it's really just Jason Herzog was yeah. brought in for this one. So there was a clear effort to expand in Europe and use some more officials from there. And I do think that's a good thing, but it didn't work out this time. This was obviously a huge failure and, and you know, they will, I imagine he will never get another chance in the UFC. This is must, this must've burned a bridge. Yeah. And as Nick was saying earlier, this probably wasn't the worst beating we've seen a fighter take, but it was in terms of damage, I think where it didn't get stopped. I think Chris Matino took a worse beating. Chris he Martino just, did, yeah, he against, didn't show uh, the Sean damage. Yeah. He didn't show the damage as bad. And I think Calvin Cater, that was a crazy yeah. beating. Oh, round four yeah. and uh, so, Max Holloway. Absolutely. So I think those were worse beatings, but in terms of, you know, visibly damaged and compromised, I think this is pretty up there. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to beat this uh, this topic to death, and, and that's not a pun. I apologize. Uh, <laughs> didn't, didn't mean to go there. Let's move on. Uh, real quick before we get into our contested rounds, I do want to highlight just how strong the judging actually was from this event, because out of 30 rounds, and that's a lot for judges to work at these UFC cards, 30 scored rounds. Only four of them had a split in terms of who they thought won the round. That's very, very low. That's a very, very good thing. We had three 10-8, 10-9 splits. We're going to be talking about all these rounds uh, in a moment. But this, I think, was was great. I mean, they nailed the scoring uh, of the Yan Sanhagen fight. That was a very... I think that was a, a fight where... I think we all kind of knew what was happening, but it's still very close. There's a lot of action, a lot of volume being thrown around. Anytime you get a lot of volume at the lower weights, it's very hard to land all three guys on the same round. But they did. Shout out to David Leatherby, Anders Olsen, and Vito Palillo, our three officials for that one. I, th- I think they deserve a little bit of a of a little bit of a short applause there for that one. But I don't know unless anybody has anything to add, I think we move to contested rounds. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. 
So contested rounds, uh, Nick, as as uh, we do on the show, as we look at the rounds that the judges disagreed on, the ones I was kind of referring to, and we just kind of evaluate and say, hey, you know, do we think that the judges got it right? Do you think maybe uh, one, you know, which which judges do you think kind of got it more right than the other? Did they get it wrong, or was it totally viable to go one way or the other? So we are going to start off with our only split decision of the E. I mean, evening over there, but over uh, in North America, it was in the morning. <laughs> Takir Ulambekov beat Alan Nascimento. 29-28's all around. Round one was the split. So whoever won round one was going to win the fight here. Uh, Dan, why don't you just kind of talk about real quick? And hopefully we can keep these a little tighter yeah. today because we talked a lot about topics. So what happened in round one? Grappling heavy round. Not much striking outside the first minute. Uh, very uh, A lot of offensive grappling from both men. Uh, you got uh, Nascimento using sweeps, attacking arm bars from the bottom, throwing some elbows from the bottom. Uh, then you got Ulan Bekov, you know, just kind of, you know, defending a, a lot there. But he locks in a really, really strong guillotine that he mounts with it. And, you know, Nascimento's in quite a bit of trouble. But he gets out. And from there, it was kind of just, you know, chilling on the ground. A couple transitions here or there. So how did you score this round before we even get to the judges? I went 10-9 Nascimento. Okay, see, I actually went for 10-9 uh, Bekov, and I was in the majority here with Vito Palillo and uh, Daryl Ransom. You had Ben Cartledge, the venerable Ben Cartledge, who we've had on our show before. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you two saw Ida in that one. Um, d- Nick, did you actually, did you, when you were watching this fight, did you happen to have an opinion of how it was scored, or did you kind of sat one out? It was one I, I more so sat out. Um, the, I, I remember the first round I, I didn't even see in full, but um, towards the end, like I, I kind of thought Nascimento might have gotten the nod overall, but yeah, I, I wasn't um, watching it to score that closely, if I'm being honest. Absolutely. And and that's fine. It's it's always good to be able to admit that. I think uh, sometimes we, we feel the need to say, oh, I thought someone won and feel strongly about it. If you don't, that's OK, too. Um, we, of course, did. We we watched that fight. We watched that round. I thought. And this is a tricky one because I think Ulan Bekov, who I scored it for, I think he was the closest to the finish by far because that guillotine, that mounted guillotine was really tight. That was kind of a, similar to the uh, Volkanovski or Brian Ortega fight that we had earlier this year where Volkanovski was pretty darn close to losing that championship belt and it didn't happen. But the rest of the round, I think, is a very strong case for Nascimento. So it's really, for me, I thought because he was the closest to getting the finish, the most effective in terms of trying to get a finish, that's why I sided with him. Uh, but, again, there's a lot of evidence that you can go for Nascimento. So, so I have no problem with you going that way, sir. So, yeah, I feel Ulenbekov had like 15 seconds of solid effective offense. But I, that's it. Right. I think he was clearly losing on the feet in that first minute. Mm-hmm. Light kicks, good punches to the head. On the ground, he's defending. I mean, these weren't as tight as as the guillotine, but you know the armbar attacks and the knee bar. I thought the knee bar was quite quite a good attack. It just Ulan Bekov got out really fast. Then uh, he's forcing defensive reactions. I, I, the, my thing is, if say it wasn't a guillotine that was his 15 seconds of effective offense, say it was some crazy head kick that rocked him, and that's the only 15 seconds of effective offense, I could totally get behind giving him the round because I, I mean, like we learn, you know, you'd rather get knocked out uh, almost subbed 10 times instead of getting almost knocked out once we've heard that before from so, officials yes <laughs> uh that, I think it was that, herb dean says that has right. that wisdom right yeah so that kind of was in my head watching this 
And I was like, yeah, you know, I, I think Nascimento had the more effective offense, even if it wasn't the most effective. Sure. I can understand that. So. Um, I, I feel fine with my way. I totally understand why it went that way. And I totally understand yeah. why this was a split round. I mean, let's face it. Um, this is kind of the definition of a split round because we've got two arguments to be made, equal arguments. So uh, I have no problem with it. I think it's fine that Ulambekov got the win. I don't think either one of them was able to assert it enough that to, to take it from the other person. So, but that's always like a hard luck loss, I think, for Nascimento here is what I would call it, right? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but we can move on, though, to uh, <laughs> this. This was a round with a little bit uh, or a fight that had a little bit of uh, interesting scoring and a little interesting back and forth here. Albert Duraev getting the unanimous win over Roman Kopilov, 229-27 and a 30-27. Now, we don't usually get 29-27s without a point deduction, but that's not the case here. We had a 10-8 potential round in round two. So, Dan, why don't you talk about round two of this fight? Yeah, round two. So, so Duraev gets he gets rocked early, gets dropped. Uh, but after that, he you know he scrambles to get the clinch against the fence, and uh, Kopilov grabs the fence. Jason Hergog stops the fight, resets them as best he could. Great, uh, great uh, choice or officiating there, I should say, from uh, Jason Herzog, and I'm not the first to say so. Uh, right after that, he gets just dumped on his back, quickly mounted, and from there, he held it for the rest of the round, landed really, really solid ground and pound, and then ended the round with a full rear naked choke locked in. I thought this was a, an easy 10-8. I think, yeah, I think he crossed the Rubicon over to, into the 8 from the 9 range here, so I, I agree with you wholeheartedly that this is a 10-8. Uh, Nick, do you have an opinion on this one? Yeah, I do. Um, I went 10-8 as well. Um, it really just comes down to like how much you weigh um of getting rocked like early in the fight yeah in the early, early in the yeah. in, early in the round i mean because that that like scoring and mma judging is all about you know impact and, and and effective shots and and who did you know sort of the most damage or, or who's closest to winning the fight yeah rocking your opponent is big but then when you get absolutely destroyed and and, and battered with damage for the majority of the round afterward that that i mean obviously dre have won the round that's of course not in question not for debate but i but i actually thought as you guys did as well that the damage was so much despite you know having a a a bit of a scare early in that round that yeah 10-8 was a fair scorecard if you want to go 10-9 and just weigh that moment early on heavily fair enough it's not the worst card but I did think Drev did enough and got close enough to finishing him that, yeah, Tenny was the right call. The question you always ask with a round like that is, is let's, you know, this this kind of isolated incident here that we're overruling here, you know, the, the uh, being rocked early on, which I thought he, he bounced back from rather quickly, too. So I, exactly. I, yeah. I don't weigh it very heavily. But also, you have to ask yourself, and I think a lot of officials ask themselves this as well when they kind of look back at these rounds and they say, what if that particular act in the beginning of the round happened at the end of the round? Do you view the round differently? Because you're supposed to weigh every element of the round kind of the same way, uh, whether it happened in the first minute or the last minute. And I do think that that particular knockdown, because it was kind of a, I guess you could call it a flash knockdown. It really just kind of a brief, you know, in trouble for a little bit and then back up to his feet. I don't think it was enough to keep him from getting uh, aided here. So. I am, or or from getting the eight, excuse me, Derive got the eight here. So I'm I'm with you guys. We're all united here. We are on the side of I think two of the strongest judges in all of Europe, uh, Ben Cartledge and Clemens Werner. Uh, so I feel really good that we're all on the same page here, calling this one an eight. Vito Paolillo saw this one as a nine. I get it. I think we all kind of get it. But uh, the eight I think was the right call, and it ended up working that way. But round three, now we actually have a round where even after getting ten eighted and almost finished in at the end of that round. 
now we're debating if Kopilov won the round, Dan, right? Yeah, I mean, both guys were, were very exhausted. And, and Kopilov came out, his head was, he had lumps everywhere on his head. I was like kind of shocked at the damage that, that was on his head. Um, I think throughout this round, I think Kopilov landed the more impactful strikes. I think it was a really close round. Both guys are, are wearing a lot of damage. I think Kopilov, you know, really, really went out to, you know, try to take this round. I think he did. Yeah, I mean, I'm with you. I, I really do think he got it. It was a, it was a close round, but but uh, even though he's spitting his mouthpiece out every like three that seconds, was, I mean, that, that was weird. That was weird. Like, dude, keep your mouthpiece in. Come it on. seemed like he didn't want it. I think they were saying that on the broadcast, right? It was like he doesn't even want it anymore, or maybe uh, what they were also it's, saying that this was probably a terrible mouthpiece. Yeah. Correct. And it, I, they were saying also his breathing, like it, right. it might not have worked I, in that favor. For right, him. right. For, for jujitsu, I used to wear a mouthpiece, and then like towards the later rounds of class. It's like, I'm exhausted. I don't want nothing to do with this thing in my mouth right now. I, so. I, will, I will say the dangers of that are you could chip a tooth, which I actually did in jujitsu. <laughs> so that's, yeah, that's you, know, you want to be careful about that. I, I have a, uh, I fixed that pretty quickly, but uh, yeah, you got to be careful about not having your mouthpiece in, sir. Uh, <laughs> what, do you, what do you think, Nick? Were you also on the side of Kapalov here? Yeah, I had it for Kapalov. I just thought um, a, a bit more effective striking on the feet and, yeah, I mean, it, it was impressive that he was able to win the round, um, uh, according to us, after getting absolutely destroyed the round prior to that. But um, obviously, it wasn't enough to win the fight. But yeah, I mean, he, he finished strong. It was a close round, as you said, Scott, but I did think Kapilov did just enough to to edge it. And we were on the same side, once again, of Cartledge and Verter here. Palilo was was uh, the out judge on this one as well. Uh, you know, I don't think either of us feels too strongly one way or the other that it couldn't have gone that way. Uh, but the, the I don't know if you guys thought this, but I had a thought watching this fight, especially this particular round. And I'm thinking, man, if this was for some reason a five round fight, I wonder if Koplov would have come back and won. Maybe gotten a finish. Possible. I mean, they were both. Well, I don't know. He was really exhausted. They were too. both exhausted, so, but it felt like he was being uh, he was able to kind of put out a little bit more. Yeah. And I mean, it would have been an awful five round fight. Like we would have been there like um, this should only be three rounds. So but <laughs> I just kind of had that feeling of momentum going his way and maybe he could have won. But neither here nor there. I, it doesn't really matter. We can move on to uh, another fight that had two rounds uh, in particular to discuss. And these were two 10-8-9 splits here. Andre Petrosky, before he got his third round uh, arm trial, arm triangle choke finish after a billion uh, submission attempts throughout the fight over who Yao Zhang. Round one and round two are both eight nine splits. So Dan, let's start with one. What was happening here that we were looking at a potential ten eight for Petrosky? Yeah, I mean it, it was a really good start for Petrosky. He sinks in a really tight mounted guillotine. Uh, he was able to get the back. He was landing those big one punch left hands that seemed like that's all he was throwing, like spamming the you know the square button, just bam, bam. Um, but Yazong hanged tough, and he kept he kept uh, you know responding a little bit. Landed a few hard ones himself. He landed that one front kick to the, the body of Petrosky that kind of zapped, you know, Petrosky's energy. He immediately shot after that. So I thought that was that was very, you know, effective. I, I didn't think it reached the 10-8, but I don't think that really he checked any of the Ds that strongly to get there. I would say he actually checked dominance. I think it's absolutely fair you can check dominance for him because oh, he had a okay. lot of grappling right, dominance yeah. on the ground. I'll, I think that's totally fair. I'll give you that. But, yeah, I think you need more than that. You need right. two Ds. And actually, lately, now what we're seeing is there's a big push uh, behind the scenes. And it's getting a little more open uh, secret here that the one of the Ds needs to be checked is damage. So if you, if you have dominance and duration, uh, the commissions are not really looking for you to check damage. Uh, uh, check into that as a 10-8 here. So with that context, I also saw it as a 10-9 as well, even though I, it was a big round, totally a big round, but I didn't quite go to that 
distance as well that that uh, the eight as well as Clemens Werner did. Again, great judge, but we just didn't quite see it that way. Howard Hughes, Daryl Ransom, these were the ones who saw it as a ten nine. Uh, Nick, did you did you have a kind of strong opinion on this one, or did you not get to watch this one either to score? No, I, I I'll be honest, I didn't. Um, I I don't know. I, I think I went ate lunch or something like with these daytime cards you have to find time for stuff like that so, oh i totally yeah. I, <laughs> I, I, I mean it was it was a stack card i have to pick a couple to to not see and i i, I probably picked the right ones mm-hmm. but yeah i mean from what i remember um i don't remember seeing around that was a 10-8 sure. um as you guys said I, I i'm sure it was dominant i'm sure it was one-sided for petrovsky but was was the damage there probably not yeah, and to your to your point about kind of picking and choosing your spots to kind of check in and out, I'm carving a pumpkin with my kids. I'm doing all this <laughs> stuff on Saturday. Like this was this was kind of the worst Saturday for it to be a midday one because I actually love the idea of it being midday, but it also creates different complications in the life of a uh, of a father of two kids. So we uh, we checked in here and here, and uh, you know we Dan and I, of course, we always make sure we catch up on all these rounds. That is what our job is the show runners to do. You're our guest. We don't mind, sir. Uh, your honesty is always appreciated. But uh, the the round two, though, was also kind of a similar scenario where we're talking about a potential 10-8. Dan, why? I would have scored it a 10-8 until, you know, we started weighing damage uh, heavier than the other two Ds. Right, right. So, I mean, it was a really strong round, round of grappling dominance pretty much the entire round. Attacking guillotines, arm triangles. He just didn't have the damage, so I, I just scored it a 10-9. I also did as well. Same reason. I mean, again, this this is really this is a round that ought to be uh, in in our opinion a ten eight, or at least in my opinion. Mm-hmm. But that's not how we're scoring it these days. Typically, uh, Daryl Ransom was our judge who gave it an eight, and that's fine. Um, I don't know how much that practice is being put forth in Europe because obviously they, these are officials who don't often work with like the Nevada Commission or or anywhere like that, where we typically see most of these rounds being scored at the UFC level these days. So. Uh, in that context, hey, I'm fine with it. I, I like the idea of it being a 10-8 from Ransom, but I, I do think in in the modern, the way the judging is even going to be moving, because we, we hear all this talk from even uh, Andy Foster over in California's commission, it sounds like the changes are coming. There, It will be worded in such a way where damage must be one of the 3Ds. So we will see. But yeah, I, I landed on 10-9 too. It didn't matter. Again, Petrosky, I mean, he dominated this fight. One thing that was kind of funny to me, to go, to go back to round one real quick, watching uh, who getting all of these uh, punches landed to his head. His hair moves <laughs> in like waves every time he's like punched because it's just long enough that it kind of flows and moves and everything. And I feel like it makes the strikes look even more effective when that happens. I feel like if you're a fighter, you got to grow it all the way out or you got to crop it real close. Otherwise, it's going to look like you're taking punches. So I don't know. That was just a visual effect that I noticed. <laughs> uh, we only have two more rounds here, and these were not particularly effective. And I think we can kind of fly through these, yeah. right, Dan? Uh, let's go with uh, Magomed and Kalaev getting a 30-27 twice and two 29-28s over Vulcan Ostemir. Round two was the only round in which we saw a little bit of disagreement. So, Dan, what happened here? Yeah, on Kalaev, he, he eats those leg kicks a lot in this round. Um, but that's really the best offense Ostemir has throughout. Uh Ankalaev was stinging him with, with a nice left. Uh, he checked a few of the kicks and he, eating others, as I mentioned. But then he landed a nice counter hook that immediately busted open the eye of Ozdemir and completely stopped him dead in his tracks. And he's like, backed up. Well, okay, we got to reset after that. Uh, as far as the immediately effective offense, I think Ozdemir lands one leg kick, kind of really forces Ankalaev to take a shot. And then, you know, it gets him to the ground, actually lands a couple punches there, then just clinches against the cage, throws a few knees. Uh, 
I just I don't like giving the round to Ozdemir. I don't think the leg kicks were all that great compared to what Ankalaev did. Okay. All right. And you know what? I ended up on the same page as you. I also saw it as an Ankalaev round, but I do think it totally makes sense for Judge Cartledge, who was a, the out judge on this one, to give it there because, again, there were so many, and, and, and I think a couple of them were very effective, these leg kicks. This was a, a stark difference in any of the other rounds as far as the leg kicks coming out there. So I have to speculate that that is what Cartledge saw was it was some good, effective leg kicks and maybe just not quite as effective uh, the rest of the striking from Ankaliyev here. I had no problem with it. Uh, Nick, where did you go? I mean, I I had it for Ankalaev. I, I had the whole fight 30-27. Um, I would say round two probably was the closest. I, I think that's evident by one judge giving that round to Ozdemir, but I, I don't remember seeing anything from that five minutes to, to make me think Volkan should have gotten the nod. Um, not the most exciting fight. The rounds no. kind of just blend together to me, but... I just kind of, at the end of it, I I thought it would be 30-27 across the board. And I remember thinking, like, what round did Volkan Volkan win? I mean, it's one of those decisions where you don't care too much. Right guy won. (laughs) It is what it is. Exactly. And and again, not the most exciting fight. So if if you want to give one round to Ozmir as a... Here you go. You know, thanks, <laughs> thanks for the fight. Then, then sure. But I didn't see it that way. I thought Ankalaev probably a clean sweep was the was the right call here. Of course, yeah. and, and of course, judges aren't giving out rounds right. like that. But I do think when we look back at it, it's perfectly okay that that one round went that way just because there was at least a little bit of debate. But yeah, I didn't see it that way either. And and Ben sitting cage side, he may be getting a different uh, a feel for these light kicks than we're getting on TV. That is maybe true. he's seeing you know facial. Thing. Like oh wow that really stung him. Reactions so, or maybe he's he's kind of feeling that yeah. thud a little bit more. Yeah, something that comes we're across, not picking uh, up on. So I mean I, I don't hate it. I mean I I don't like it but I don't hate it. From my from my vantage point I I, I thought it was a, a Uncle Live round. And as Nick said there, the right guy won. Yep. Yeah and, and there's been many worse scorecards so absolutely this is totally fine I have no problem with it and another one I don't really have a big problem with in another fight that didn't really matter uh, what happened in this particular round too Alexander Volkov. Got his win over Marching Tybura. Uh, it was two thirty twenty sevens again in a twenty nine twenty eight round two. Uh, was it was the majority went for Volkov here, but I, I think I get the sense that we might actually disagree here. So Dan, what happened in round two? This was really really close. I thought both guys were landing pretty solid. I think it's quite clear that Tybura, from where we were watching, had the better reactions. I, I remember a, a nice solid uppercut against the cage, and I was like, oh wow, Volkov was really hurt after that. And he had, he had to kind of, you know, skip away and his head's getting snapped back. So I'm on Tybora 10-9. Yeah, I was too. I mean, it wasn't just the pressure because the pressure isn't something that, that scores. That's not effective. But he is he is actually able to uh, put out a lot more offense out there and a little bit more effect to it. Volkov, I don't think he took the round off, but he certainly wasn't nearly as aggressive to win that round as I think maybe he was in the other two rounds, uh, comparatively speaking to Tybora. So, yeah, as much as I don't think Tabura really wanted that round to go that way, he still was able to kind of take one. That's my opinion, but uh, close enough and and in another not aesthetically pleasing uh, fight where maybe some of these rounds run together. Uh, Fair to say, Nick? Yeah, I mean, I I will will make this 3-0 for for this podcast. I gave that second round to Tybura as well. I thought it was a very competitive round, but I thought Volkov... He just seemed, during the whole fight, really, especially in the second and third, he just seemed a bit slower and a bit more plodding, a bit more lethargic than usual. This is a guy that generally is one of the, 
I mean, not super light on his feet type of heavyweight, but he he goes five rounds rather rather easily, and and he struggled a bit to get to to fifteen minutes on Saturday. But with this round, I just saw Tybura with his pressure. He was moving forward a bit more, and and that allowed him to land the bigger shots, land a bit more. Um, Volkov maybe didn't take the round off, but certainly his worst round. And yeah, I thought Tybura did enough, but it was close. And and again, the fight. Not the most entertaining fight we've no. seen. So if you want to give give it to Volkov for that for that thirty twenty seven sweep, can't really argue it a whole lot. This is another this this round is particular evidence why we need one round heavyweight fights because we didn't need two more rounds of it. I think. <laughs> it's fair to say, everybody, we all agree. I agree. Man law, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> to your point, actually, about Volkov and and, and kind of how he's not looked uh, maybe as as fast as he used to. Don't forget, he put on some weight this year. He added uh, some bulk. I believe that was in response to the uh, the loss that he had last year to Curtis Blades, where he was going to take down a lot. So he said, okay, I'm going to add some mass. Maybe it's affecting performance in a way that maybe isn't uh, helpful to his fighting style. I wonder if that's the case, but that's speculation. Um, this round, though, you and I, all three of us actually saw this one as a Tabor round. We saw it the same way as the outjudge Clemens Werner, whereas Vito Palillo and Daryl Ransom saw this one for Volkov. But because Dan and I, and of course our guest uh, Nick on this one, saw it the way of the outjudge. Dan, what do we call that on the show? That would be a couchside override. These are awards that we uh, send out at the end of the year. That everybody gets a thousand dollar spending <laughs> spree to uh, the store of their choice, uh, but it's monopoly money, unfortunately, so it doesn't really work. Uh, and they I also, would choose the UFCstore.com just for what it's worth. Of course, absolutely. I mean, who who doesn't want the uh, the hot dog brander of that course. says UFC on it, right? And some vintage uh, Reebok fight kits. They're they're not available anymore. So is the they're, they're special is, is the Gibbler uh, fight kit still available? I'm very interested in the Gibbler Melendez one and Anderson Aldo. That, that's yes, yeah. I mean, he was an amazing fighter. He was the he was the goal almost, in several divisions. Almost as good as Usman Nurmagomedov. <laughs> <laughs> who who is an actual real person let's not forget that <laughs> the goat of all mma names it is amazing it, it's totally a uh a fighter name generated from the ufc game that actually came to life and it's wonderful uh <laughs> we're done with the rounds here let's kind of wrap up the show here let's talk about some of the finishes because that's always we, we don't like to ignore some of these fights that actually didn't go to the judges it's, it's fun it's we, we actually kind of like it better sometimes right uh six finishes in all from this 14 fight card very busy one uh four by sub you don't usually get majority subs here two by uh, well one by ko one by tko three of these fights ended in the first round let's start with nick what was your favorite of the finishes if we're going strictly on style points i don't know how you can really say any other answer other than leon or leron murphy's knee knockout over makwan amrakani sure i just think like the way he set it up it was 14 seconds in the second round after getting dominated in that first round just on the ground makwan of course took him down right away and that was the round murphy whether he saw an opening and, and knew he had to change something up or, or made an adjustment mid round. I don't know. I mean, it might've just been, he, he, he threw it and it landed. I don't know, but it was great. A huge KO. But if we're talking in terms of style and, and, and impact and what this meant, my favorite finish on the card, and there weren't a whole lot, if we're being honest, sure. um, was the main event, Glover to share choking out Jan Blahovich. I just thought, how quickly 
Glover made his advancements on the ground. I mean, it was kind of just a, a snap of your fingers from when he was going for the takedown to when he advanced to full mount. Jan basically turned onto his stomach and and Glover took his back and and sunk it in pretty much right away. I think maybe Jan tapping out pretty quickly takes a little away from the finish, although it really shouldn't. Um, I just thought that was a, a great submission. Nothing we haven't seen before, but it was just vintage Glover to share as we talked about before. And um, with everything that was at stake and, and his age and everything like that, uh, this was my favorite finish. Yeah. yeah. I actually, I actually think him tapping out quick helps the case because he got it in that fast. The techniques right there. It's, it's so good. He, he had to tap quick. I mean, we're only talking so, about favorite. It doesn't really matter yeah. if it was the best or not. This is just yeah. the the one that you enjoyed the most. It doesn't even have to be the most aesthetically pleasing or the most uh, significant or anything like that. If that was Nick's favorite, you can't even argue yeah. it. But for me, it was it was actually the one you already mentioned, Nick, was the, the Royal Murphy uh, knockout with a knee. 14 seconds into round two, obviously, the scenario you outlined here where Amir Khani took him down and kind of was on top for first round. And then Murphy's like, you know what? I'm not doing that anymore. I'm going to throw a knee next time you take me down. Especially, he was a little more outside when he goes for the shot, big mistake. Uh, I I think Matt Corner Mercani knows how bad a mistake he made, but he was <laughs> yeah. he was in a different zone for this one. I mean, he got knocked out hard. Anytime you yeah. get those knees, is obviously you've got a lot of force coming in and a lot of force coming back at you. So those are rough. It's good to know that he's uh, he's probably okay. I mean, I hope he's okay. I actually haven't gotten the chance to follow up on social media, see if he's posted uh, anything up there, but hopefully he's all right. That that's exactly how people were. Uh predicting Dan Hooker to beat Islam Makachev. By the knee. By the knee. And then once once Lerone Mofrey did, I said, okay, it's not happening twice. Night, <laughs> so. Probably not. The the law of averages there, right? Uh, Dan, what about you? What was your favorite? Oh, uh, you know, I'm a shoulder lock junkie. So yes, you are. The Oma Plata's brother, the Kimura from Islam Makachev on Dan Hooker. I thought that was uh, awesome. Absolutely. going to rip his arm off. And I was like, he's going to break it. Dan, Dan's really tough. I hope he taps. And uh, he did. Verbal, we- verbally, right? Was it verbal tap? Nick, do you remember? I don't remember seeing the tap, but I also don't remember hearing it was a verbal tap. I'm not sure. I I was watching that one uh, on mute in my car uh, as I was driving to a Halloween party. This was a weird day, like I said. (laughs) I had a lot of things going on that day otherwise, so it was kind of tough to balance everything, but I made sure to catch up on what I missed. However, I don't remember if it was a verbal. uh, It doesn't matter. It was a tap. Either way, you're submitting. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, and, and that really does it for uh, UFC 267. We, of course, have to UFC 268 uh, in a week in our neck of the woods over in New York City, Madison Square Garden. I am supposed to be in the building for that one. Nick, are you coming out to the city for that one or no? I'm not. Unfortunately, okay. I'd love to, but I'm not. Gotcha, Scott, gotcha. I will also be in the building. That's right. He, he will be in the building, but not at the uh, fight. Why don't you tell everybody what you're going to be doing? I will be at the theater seeing Burt Kreischer while the UFC is in the arena. And then the UFC told me, Dan, we really don't want you to come to this event. So the cheapest ticket is $300. And I said, all right, fine. I, I won't be there. There are a lot of people yeah. who were not pleased with the uh, the level of price for this one. I know even Caposa was talking about on, on uh, social media about how the fact that, I mean, as much as he'd like to go, it's like 900 bucks to go. It's like, how can you justify that? That's mm-hmm. a hard uh, it's a hard price <laughs> for that one. So, But hey, you get to see Colby Covington. Everybody wants to see Colby Covington. <laughs> yeah, everybody wants to see Colby Covington. <laughs> <laughs> I I am definitely interested in watching Justin Gaethje and uh, Michael Chandler tear each other to shreds for however long that lasts. That'll be a phenomenal that fight. That should be good. Is that five rounds or no? No, it's just three. No, three. no and, and honestly, it's not going to matter. That like I've been okay. saying for weeks that that's ending in the first round. Like oh. I don't know why, but I'm super confident one way or the other. 
That's not going five minutes. Okay. I really don't think so. I'm going to give it seven minutes. I think we got seven minutes of hell there. And it's going to be a lot of fun. But, uh, yeah, that's uh, before we go, before we kind of wrap up here, Nick, any any uh, projects you got working on? Anything uh, we should tell our listeners about? No, I mean, not a whole lot. I mean, keep it locked to the score. I'll have a bunch of UFC 268 coverage over the next week or so. Um, I'll, I'll be doing a piece, look at back on the first fight, kind of along the same lines of what you guys do, sort of rescoring that one. Of course, it was a finish, but there's a bit of... Uh, not controversy, but uh, depends you know, who you ask. Some, some people had it. Yeah, I mean, if you ask Colby, it was, it was controversial as all hell. But <laughs> my brother-in-law uh, too will say the same thing. There, there was some <laughs> differentiate uh, differentiation in terms of the rounds there, so I'll be looking back on that predictions, best bets, all that sort of good stuff. Um, so the score.com or the score app, and of course, you can find me on Twitter at Nick Baldwin MMA. And that's going to do it for us. Thank you once again, Nick, for joining us. We appreciate it. Thank you, Nick. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me, guys. I appreciate it. We will be back on Friday. Just Dan and I for this one. We're going to break down uh, you know, our thoughts on coming into this uh, UFC 268 with the title fights, with the amazing fights going on. And uh, yeah, we'll probably, yeah maybe, maybe we'll do a past judgment, past judgment where we look back maybe, at some of our yeah. old fights. Maybe we'll do the one you were talking about, Nick. Perhaps. All right, everybody. Thanks and have a great week. Thanks for listening.